I keep asking that the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope in which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his, in his holy people and his uncomparably great power for us who believe. Thank you, dear. And you can be seated. Our kids are dismissed to Children's Church. And the rest of us open up to John 5. And um, if you're ambitious, stick your thumb in Ephesians 1, where we just were. Um, title here, uh, God with us, as a theme throughout our entire year. God with us, and we're looking at the stories of Jesus. How was Jesus with us? How was Jesus with the people he was with? And and <laughs> was that like a stumping bear going out the door? Okay. Um, yeah, Donna, grab that door for me, if you don't mind. Or unless Nancy's going to do it. Um, and this, this story really is a strange one. Uh, it, there's hardly any like it. In, um, in the Gospels, because Jesus, Jesus is with us even in our ignorance. How many of you enjoy it when somebody calls you ignorant? Ignorant really does have three syllables. It's not ignorant. You're so ignorant. You know, I mean, I don't know. I just, I've said that twice. Um, but really, ignorance is not stupidity. It's not. Ignorance just isn't knowing. I'm ignorant about a lot of things, happily so. And so are you. We're just not, we're, we're not stupid. We just don't know stuff. We're ignorant. And the guy in our story, I can't, I can't make the case that he was stupid, but he was ignorant. Um, and ignorance sometimes is a result of our focus. We just don't notice stuff that's going on. Especially, have you noticed this? When you are in a, in a, an emotional state that is, shall I say, intense or compromised or really just out of your control, you tend to focus hard to the point where everything else is blurred, almost literally. Um, I spent a semester at Western Kentucky University. It was a bit of a detour, but God used it in great and powerful ways. And in Bowling Green, Kentucky, there is a university, there are WKU. And um, uh, I was dating a girl, not my present wife, but I was dating a girl there that was a, actually a, a pretty toxic relationship. If I were, I mean, just to be straight up honest, it was not great. Um, verbally abusive from her to me, a lot of manipulation and I was, I guess, just able to just roll over and take a lot of that. I didn't know what to do. I was a people pleaser. And so I just, I, I just let her bully me a lot. And it was one of those days where I didn't know what I did wrong. She was just mad all the time. And I was trying to, to, to follow her down the sidewalk on campus saying, what's wrong? What, what can I do? What can I do to fix it? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And that was a common thing. And if you're in a relationship like that, typically that's not the healthy thing to do. Um, 
but she was livid about something, and I'm trying to follow her into um, into the dorm, and she hauls off and goes, wham! Backhands me right across the mouth. This isn't soft like, hey, I'm just playing around. She she clobbered me. And I am just shell-shocked. And I, I don't really know what to do. I've never That's never happened to me before. And you know when you start seeing red, you just, everything just goes almost dark because you're so just enraged. And I did, the only thing I could do is just walk away. And it just consumed me. For a few minutes, all I could do was just walk and stew around. It's just, and the only thing I could, I could figure out how to do is just go back to, to go back to my room, go back to the dorm. Um, the dorm that I was in was a co-ed dorm. Bottom floors were guys, or bottom floors were girls, top floors were guys. I was headed to my, to my room. I hit the elevator button. I am just, I am into myself. I'm just so angry. I'm so, all, you know, all these things swirling around. And I get in the elevator, and I get in the elevator. I turn around like you always do in an elevator. I push the button. Well, right before it closes, and completely, it opens up again. I don't care. Somebody walks in. I don't care who it is. The door is shut, and three floors later, she's like, are you not going to talk to me now? It was her. <laughs> she was headed to her room, too. I didn't even see her. And, of course, she thought I was ignoring her, so she was mad all over again. You know, so whatever. Just get off on your floor. I'm going to my room. Just, we're done. I, didn't, I honestly did not see her. All I could see was this right here. And everything else was gone. Tunnel vision. So focused on one thing, for whatever reason, that everything else is, is just fades. In the, um, the term for this, in psychological terms, is focalism. And sometimes it happens in good ways. Like in junior high, guys, when that girl walked in the room, and everything went in slow motion, and all you could see was her, and everything was blurry, you know, that kind of thing. That's focalism in, in a, maybe a, a, good, a good way. Um, and so this plays out in a lot of different ways. And I want to just do a little experiment here. How, how well can you focus? Okay, because there's, there's a little video here, and um, I want to show you this. In fact, I didn't know where the cover slide was. Uh, did I not get that done right? There, there it is. Oh, okay, there's the title slide. So check out this video. Follow the instructions. And uh, if you know the answer, don't tell your neighbor. Okay, here we go. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Go! The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? No! It's an ad for safety, okay? 
How many, I mean, honestly, how many of you missed the bear the first time? A good majority. Um, did you miss the bear the second time? <laughs> you can miss what you're not looking for. Um, have you ever been so focused on one thing that you miss the people around you? I've been accused of ignoring people on the road because I'm busy driving, not waving at you. Okay? I mean, if I recognize the grill of your car or truck, I'll probably say, oh, that might be so-and-so. But I'm not looking in the vehicle for every... So I, just, I should be just waving at every vehicle just, just you know, to be safe, but I don't. Um, so I apologize if, if I've ever snubbed you on the road. I just didn't see you. I was driving. Uh, have, but have you missed people? Like, even in your own house, have you missed people because you're so focused on one thing? It happens every time you pick up a phone to do anything but call somebody. Have you tried to get past your phone texting or whatever to talk to another human being? Have you been ever so focused on your pain that whether it's physical or emotional or mental that you can't see hope? Have you ever been so focused on failure that you can't even imagine succeeding? Have you ever been so focused on problems that you won't see the solutions that are even offered to you? Have you been so focused on your version of reality that whatever else is proposed to you, it, your, your sliver of, of sight is no peripheral, there's, there's no opportunity or no horizon. It's just shaded, distorted so much that you can't even see what's true anymore. I think that was the case for this guy in our text. Take a look at John 5. We're going to just walk through this just a bit together. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Um, Bethesda can be translated house of mercy or a place of outpouring. Okay, um, which is covered by five, uh, surrounded by five covered colonnades. The picture high porches with columns. And here, a great number of disabled people used to lie: the blind, the lame, paralyzed. So picture this: it, it, it's a, it's not out in the grass, out in the pasture somewhere. They built this into the city. This is framed by by stone. It is a, a, a waterway that was engineered um, and to bring in fresh water to the city. And there is a place where you can gather around here with maybe steps or and there's a place to go under, under shade so it's not in the blazing sun. And it's connected to other bodies of water in the city by pipes. It's, it's one of those places that you can, uh, can maybe come in and pull water. And it, it becomes a hangout for a lot of disabled folks. Why is that? That seems kind of strange. Like, is this the disabled pool? Where, you know, over, over here, I mean, is it ADA compliant? I don't know. Um, doubt it. But here's a footnote. Anybody got a footnote on their Bible? Or you've, maybe you've got a King James that you're looking at. Footnote. They waited for the moving of the waters. 
From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters, and the first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. Hmm. Okay, so here's the reason why they're all hanging around. They're waiting. They're watching the water for some kind of movement, some kind of stirring, some kind of bubbles or something to come up so that the first one in has a shot at getting healed. Now, there's no biblical precedent to this. It's probably a superstition, probably some story somebody made up along the way. I don't know how it ever got to be this way, but apparently it was enough that it created enough sliver of hope that a lot of people just hung out waiting for someone, something to happen. And they attributed to the angel of the Lord. Now, I don't know if it was, you know, when, when other water moves, it kind of creates a vacuum and does this kind of thing, or maybe an angel was stirring the waters and there was some mercy. I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting place. It's an interesting backstory. That's why he's there. So verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, for a culture that didn't have a life expectancy much beyond 40, this is a long time. A long time. When Jesus saw him lying there, and he learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. Picture Jesus asking questions, getting to know people, interested in their story. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Strange question. Jesus asked a lot of strange questions. But they all had a point. Do you want to get well? Because not everyone who went to Bethesda wanted to get well. I'm, I'm pretty convinced of that. It was a family, perhaps. They had friends there. It was a place to hang out. It was normal. A lot of times people in that culture, they would beg and they would be given alms, you know, coins as they, uh, as they just sat there in different places asking for, for help with their little bucket out there. To get well, for a lot of people like that, meant a loss of income. To get well means to break out of the norm. Um, I don't know if it's irreverent or not, but I heard a joke about Jesus uh, went, into, uh, went into a bar because Jesus hung out with, you know, everybody, anybody. And there were three guys sitting at the bar, and they each had, uh, you know, either a set of crutches or, uh, you know, a wheelchair, or, um, and, they, and there was a third guy who was sitting at the bar. And Jesus said, hey, what's, and guy number one, hey, what's wrong with you? Oh, I can't use my leg anymore. I lost my job. And Jesus says, you're healed. And the guy's like, wow, I can stand up. I can go. I can go to work. Thanks, Jesus. He goes to the second guy, well, what's your deal? What? I, have a, I have a back injury, and and so Jesus says, well, you're healed. And the guy's like out of the wheelchair. Go, oh, wow, that's great. I, I can walk again. And the third guy says, don't touch me. I'm on disability. <laughs> Ooh, ouch. That hurt a little. Now, don't read into that, okay? My only point is some people really don't want to get well. They just don't because that would mess up their world, even as much as they don't like it, even as limited as it is, don't ask me to do anything that I'm not used to doing. Don't help me to such a degree that I need to break out of what I think is normal. I wonder if that's this guy. After 38 years, 
wouldn't you be a little entrenched in your habits, in your thought patterns, in the way you see the world? Wouldn't it be so much ingrained in you that you'd have trouble getting out of that even if you wanted to? The questions for us here are many. What are you doing here? <laughs> I mean this morning. Why, why do you come to this place? I mean, are you here to be healed? I mean, in the process of being healed in your spirit, in your mind, in your relationships? Are you, or are you here to just commiserate with other people's misery? You know what I mean? It's a scriptural truth that we bear each other's burdens, but there are we're here to encourage each other. But some people really just, they don't want to be encouraged to the point of actually doing anything. They just want to hear, have somebody hear their gripes. Do you, I mean, I've tried this with people over the years that the, I will listen and I will listen and they'll, they'll just unload grief after grief and I can empathize and I can, I can listen. Sometimes that's all I really need to do. But if I ever feel led to just try to bring some scripture out or try to offer some kind of guidance or help or something like that, and they're just like, oh, okay, yeah. Oh. But yeah, but then there's other thing that's going on, you know, and it, they really don't want to hear what I have to give them. They just want to gripe more. Maybe you have uh, a couple of friends or maybe you, you have a relationship with somebody that you're each other's gripe partner. You know, you just get on the phone or you just get over coffee and all you do is just try to one-up each other on how bad life is and you enable each other to stay that way. Do you want to get well? Do we really want to get out of some of these cycles of self-defeating sickness? Do you want to get well? No, I just want to be understood. Do you want to get well? No, I just want to vent. Do you want to get well? Eh, maybe, you know. I, I read a story of a man um, who went to India, and he saw a beggar, which there's a lot of, I mean, any, any place you go, there are people who, who beg. And he had big bandages around his legs, and he wore dirty clothes, and they had a really, I mean, he was very, he looked, he looked, emaciated, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards, and he was out asking for money. And one day, um, he, sat, he sat in the same place all the time, and this guy that saw him noticed one day his, he, um, this guy was having a bath in a nearby river. And after, he, I took, he took his bath and he washed his clothes, and it was, he, he could walk just fine. Um, but before he was really limping and had this thing going, you know. But then after his bath and after he cleaned his clothes, he did something very strange. He's, the guy said he went back up on the bank of the river and took a bunch of dirt and then plastered himself with dirt. And then he wrapped bandages all over his legs again and he limped back to his place where he was begging. That's a job. <laughs> that, that's, that's your it's a typical example, I guess, of a man who has mastered the mind game. He had no physical sickness, but he was sick in his soul. We play sick. We play the victim. We play poor me. And Jesus still 
doesn't give up on us. How many of us <laughs> how many of us walk like we're wounded when really it's like we've been pretending or or felt victimized for so long that we really do believe that we're in this condition. Jesus is asking, do you, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed of that addiction? I mean, really, do you want to stop? Do you want to be free of that sin that continually comes up? Do you want your marriage saved? Do you want to, be, do you want to heal the damaged relationships around you? Do you really want to be healthier? I hear people all the time, yeah, I've got to get healthy. But I'm not going to do anything different to get healthy. I'm not going to go to the doctor. I'm not going to eat any different. I just want to be healthier. Wait, that doesn't work that way. Do you really want to get out of debt? Do you really? Because that requires some changes in your spending habits and your disciplines. Do you, and here's the thing that gets all of us at a time or two. Every, everybody I talk to complains about how busy they are. It, like we're powerless to do anything about that. Like the choices that we make are not our own and everybody else's. If you, do you really want to be less busy and be able to give your time to other places? Or do you just want to complain about how busy you are all the time? Do you want to get well? Jesus looked at that poor man 38 years and said, do you want to get well? And notice the answer that he gives. Sir, verse 7, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Oh, he doesn't even answer the question. He has his plan, his one shot, and all he can see is, I have no one to help me. You know, I mean, can you hear his... Get a little, he gets a little whiny about it. I mean, whoever brings him there, if he can't walk, if he's an invalid, somebody's got to bring him there. He doesn't live there. Somebody brings him there in the morning, probably brings him lunch. I don't know where he gets lunch, and takes him home at night. Whoever brings him there doesn't hang around to wait for it, to help him. I have no one to help me. It's everybody else's fault. The guy that can actually walk gets in there ahead of me. You know, Again, how closely does this man's reaction fit our own sometimes? We might actually have some desire to see our lives improved. But all we can see is the one thing that I think will do that I can't, I can't get to, and no one will help me. Everybody else gets to go first. I'm always last. And we're just focused on the, on the one thing that we think will help us. And then it, then it occurred to me this. Or if we are looking at Jesus, all we want him to do is our plan. You see that? We might be praying. You're, I mean, you may be protesting right now saying, oh, yeah, I pray. I ask God for help all the time. And I ask, well, what are you asking him to do? What, what kinds of things are you asking him to do for you? The things that you fought up? Because <laughs> if that's the case, he's like, but that's not going to be good for you. That's not going to fix it. God's like, I've got a plan for you you haven't even thought of yet. All you can see is your plan. 
And how's that working for you? He's like, I love you enough not to do that. But all we can see is, oh, if only I could get that big break. If only I could get that lottery ticket. If only I could get that raise. If only my boss could see how hard I work. If only my husband would listen to me. If only my wife would give me a break. If only I could lose a few pounds. If only I could pay off these bills. If only, if only, if only. It's always somebody else's fault. And if the man didn't listen to Jesus' question, Jesus seemed to pay no mind to the answer that he got. Because look and see what Jesus does. Jesus just said to him, Get up! Pick up your mat and walk. And at once, the man was cured and picked up his mat and walked. I don't know what to do about this, honestly. Because there's no even indication that the guy believed anything about Jesus. He had no faith whatsoever. He had no idea who was talking to him. And Jesus just pops him out of the crowd and just says, Get up. Go home. Take your mat with you. This is enough. What is... I mean... (laughs) What is, what, is, what is your focus? Is it on the pool? Or is it on Jesus? Is, is it on the solution that you've dreamed up that this is the only way that you think this can ever, ever, ever get any better? Or is your focus on, on him no matter what he does? And how, no matter how, how he handles it, are you willing to take your eyes off the pain Are you willing to take your eyes off the problem, off the obstacle, and place your full attention on Christ and just say, whatever you want, however you want or don't want to deal with this, I'm yours. Are you willing to do that? Or are you just saying, uh, Jesus, the only way I can see any way out of this is just doing X, Y, and Z, and if you can't do that, then, I, then we're stuck. We're at an impasse. Because, honestly, healing or, or, or restoring um, or getting anything better would require some change. It might require forgiveness to be given, and you're not willing to do that. It, it might require some, some changes in your daily habits, and you don't want to do that either. I mean, we're, we're kind of bullheaded when it comes to that kind of stuff. Getting well would require seeing family differently. It might require disciplining yourself. And I'd rather Jesus just do it all for me. He, he seemed to do it for this guy. But if you look later on in the chapter... Jesus healed his body, but his mind was not transformed. His eyes weren't opened. One commentary said this was Jesus' first mistake. (laughs) I don't think he was mistaken. I think this is just how God rolls sometimes. He just gives grace upon grace upon undeserving grace even to those of us who are selfish and self-centered and and not grateful and our mind isn't transformed and we don't see 
and we can't appreciate. See, God pursues us even when we're not looking for him. Jesus offers help when we don't ask for it sometimes. He gives us healing when we didn't see it coming. He speaks truth into our life when we, and then we resent him for it. In, in 1 John 4, John says this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. It's, it's just grace. So if you still have your, uh, your thumb over in Ephesians, flip there because we're going to finish up. Ephesians chapter 1. This is Paul's prayer um, for the Ephesians. I'm going to rewind just a bit to verse 15. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, opened, in order that you may know three things. The hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and three, his incomparably great power for us who believe. How do you get to know these things? You have the eyes of your heart opened. You widen your vision. You have God heal your heart and your mind from the anger or the resentment or the bitterness or the despair or the pain or the, the lack of resources. You think there's nothing else that can, can be done here. But Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be lit up. Open your eyes. Get up. Start walking. You're capable of more because Jesus is with you. He wants you to know the hope to which he's called you. This isn't some hope far away in heaven sometime. This is hope now. This is life now. He wants you to know the riches of his, that is God's, glorious inheritance. God gets an inheritance. What, what is God's inheritance? I mean, really, I mean, when you, the, you think of the creator of all things and the owner of all the world and the, the, you know, the owner of cattle on a thousand hills and all that stuff. What's he get? What's, what's God's inheritance? Us. His holy people. The church. The one thing that God wants that he can't just snatch for himself, he wants our hearts. His inheritance is us. And you know what? That's not a bad deal for him. He is pretty pumped about that. And he wants us to know this incomparably great power for us who believe. Your problems are not the end of the world, and your one solution isn't the end of the line. There is so much more that if we just opened our eyes and let God fill our minds with him, not solutions, that's, that's, that might come later, but just fill our minds with him. 
and his word and his wisdom and his power, that old line, then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. The question for that man by the pool is the question for us, do you want to get well? Let me pray for you. Jesus, we, uh, we don't know how this all works, but you do, and that's enough. Each of us have um, something that we can't seem to overcome, whether big or small. We've been wrestling with something for years and years, and uh, either it hasn't gotten any better or it's gotten worse or it's just changed, and... Um, And for all of our efforts, uh, we still seem to be stuck. And I would just ask for all of us that, um, that we would, one, surrender ourselves to you and your will for us, that you teach us in the midst of whatever difficulty this is, and that there would be um, a widening of our vision, uh, a rest that comes from your Holy Spirit, a surrender, to you if we haven't done so already that you have our our lives in your hands and we just we trust you with it in the midst of whatever grief or uh, or financial struggle or relationship uh, strife that there might be just help us to surrender that to you fill us um, with your words and help us to focus more on you that you be the lens through which we see these things. Deal with us, uh, but only in your mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh. Sorry about that. Um, you guys have those people in your life. Maybe you know those people that are just so good that they just kind of drive you crazy from time to time. And I don't mean that their good deeds drive you crazy. It's when you compare yourself um, to them. And what I mean is I'm going to pick on Mike Jacquino because he's not here. Uh, and nobody telling this either. Um, but what we witness Mike do almost every Sunday is he drops his family off at the front door. He drops them off right there, and then he goes and parks a car which is great. That's nice of him to do that. But meanwhile, I'm making my family walk like two blocks to church. And it, we're either freezing cold in the winter or we're, you know, it's so hot in the summer and we just can't seem to make it here without somebody crying. And then we get up here and we see Mike dropping off his family. I always just think, Mike, why do you do that right in front of my family? You know, they see that. Just, just drives me crazy. And then the other day at the bank, let me tell you what I saw. Um, I was waiting uh, for, I was waiting across the street, and I just happened to be watching the parking lot, and this big truck pulled in, and this older guy got out of the truck, walks around to the passenger door, and I'm just kind of watching out of the corner of my eye, and he opens the door, and there's his wife in the passenger seat, he helps her out of the truck, closes the door behind her, and holds her hand and walks into the bank. And whenever I saw that, I started thinking about Ashley, and I thought, you know, Ashley never opens the door for me, <laughs> and... No, that's not what I thought at all. I started thinking, do I, do I do nice things like that for Ashley? No, I think I normally say, hey, open the door so I can hit the door lock button. You know, so I got some work I got to do there. Um, but Ashley, Ashley is one of those good people that does good things all the time, and then I have to, you know, I have to live with that. 
Um, and here's, here's what I mean by that. One more story is a few years ago we started budgeting, um, and we would give ourselves just a small portion of money that we could spend whatever we, we, whatever we wanted to. So, so I would take my money, and within a few hours I'd spend it on something stupid and lose it and, and whatever. Well, a couple months later I was talking to Ashley, and I said, so what do you spend your money on? And she said, oh, I just, I've been saving that. And then at some point when I get enough, we'll just take the family to Silver Dollar City or something like that. And I was like, how dare you? How dare you stand there and do something good with your money while I'm out there doing something stupid with mine? <laughs> but don't, don't get me wrong. I, um, I have a huge amount of respect for people that I just witness doing good things all the time. I want to be that someday. I want to be the person that is always oh, such a good person. I want to do that. But I think sometimes that we can all get kind of focused on on the good deeds and forget the big picture. Uh, I want to share a story from John um, where Jesus is uh, preaching to, he's performing miracles and talking to uh, large crowds. And at one point, there's a group of people that approach him. And I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to make the assumption that these people that approach him are probably these good people. They're, they're good people. They approach him with a question. They ask him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Now, I know they probably have something in mind that they're expecting Jesus to say, that he's going to give them a list of things, like he's probably going to say, well, you should spend your money on other people, you should you know, help your wife on and off of the camel when you go places, and you know, let your family off at the front door. But that's not what Jesus said at all. Again, the question was asked, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work, the singular, the one thing, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So right there, um, Jesus is telling us it's not about the works that we do that determine our relationship with the Father. It's not a list of good things versus bad things and a net plus or a net minus. The one thing is to believe in the one that he has sent. Um, Because when we come together this morning, we gather together, um, none of us are good people. Um, But through Jesus' sacrifice and us accepting that gift, we can be made perfect such that we can approach the Father. Jesus later tells us, same group, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. That's what we're getting ready to do this morning, uh, to take communion, and we look forward to that last day when he will raise us up. So will you pray with me this morning? Father God, I thank you so much um, for your son. I thank you for sending him to die for us uh, so that we can uh, be reunited with you. God, I thank you that your love for us is not determined by our deeds and by our works, um, but by um, the sacrifice that your son has made on our behalf. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.